The following message is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Well, last night I talked about our basic calling as a shepherd. Uh, And this morning I'd like to speak about our basic conviction as a preacher. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. where in what is perhaps his final epistle, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, his young protege, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. There are so many incredible joys in being a pastor, particularly in a long-term pastorate. And uh, I count myself incredibly blessed to be at Buckron long enough to have seen uh, children grow up and marry. Recently, uh, one young lady in our church, I've been her pastor since she was a, a little girl, uh, just a couple of days before she got married, as she was cleaning her room out of her parents' home where she had lived her life, and she was moving her stuff into the house that she and her groom would occupy and just a couple of days later after she married she she posted on instagram a picture of years of sermon outlines that she had taken notes of uh listening to me preach and she remarked how these sitting at Buckron, listening to the preaching in the fellowship of the saints had prepared her for marriage. I felt like Jesus saying, I have food to eat you don't know about. Man, that, that will encourage a pastor a long time. You know, I, I want to, I'm speaking to pastors. I, I just, I love being with preachers. I, I love being with brothers in the Lord who know the joys and the sorrows, what it means to be a preacher of God's Word. You know, the church can never be more faithful than the preaching that fashions and forms its thinking and its practice. Uh, a few years ago, we, we had to relocate. Our church grew to the point that it required a complete relocation and uh, it was a big project, one that terrified me, by the way. But I had I had very little to do with the building. Uh, but one instruction that I gave, I wanted 
I wanted it built in such a way that everything in the architecture, everything on the property, all pointed to one thing, and it was the pulpit. You look at an aerial photo of our property, you see everything is laid out, every parking stripe, the building, everything comes to one central point, and it is the pulpit. We we wanted to say architecturally as in practice that the central thing that happens in this place is the preaching of the Word of God. You know, last night I, I talked about those early years at Buck Run and the challenges and difficulties. And I will tell you, there was no shortcut. There was just one thing to do, and that was to preach and preach and preach and preach the Word. And I, I saw the Word take effect. Some people left. Some stayed. A lot came. But what I saw take place was Bible studies forming and people growing in the Lord, growing under the Word. Deacons started going to jail. That didn't come out right. (laughs) Literally, they started going to the local jail on uh, one night a week and ministering to the, the prisoners. And we, we began to see inmates saved. And when they got out, they became a part of our church and were discipled. And we've seen a regular diet of that because, not because we organized some program, but because the word had its effect in the lives of our people. Listen, pastors, it's not the only thing you must do. There's a lot to pastoring, but make preaching your main business that's the main verb of verse two paul admonishes timothy above everything else in his administration of the church of the lord jesus christ he is to preach the word notice uh, paul paul takes on this air of solemnity i charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now notice he begins with the reason why we're to preach the word. It's because of Jesus, because of his constant presence. He bears witness to everything we do. He bears witness to the preaching of the word, to the effect in the lives of our people, to the way we lead the sheep because of his constant presence and because of his coming judgment. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And in light of this coming judgment, we take what we do so incredibly seriously that we're always aware that we are going to be judged for what we do with the word, but they are going to be judged for how they hear the word, how they apply the word, how they respond to the word. This is serious business that we do when we preach the word. And because of his his, uh, imminent appearance, Paul doesn't say this to Timothy as though this is going to happen at some distant point in the future. uh, We preach with an urgency, knowing that Christ could come at any moment You know, I've always sort of fantasized that I'd love to be preaching about the second coming when Jesus returns. It would be the ultimate sermon illustration. 
And if the Lord would do it right now, I'd be happy, wouldn't you? And it could be before the end of this sermon. I'd love for the Lord Jesus to come back while Alistair has his Bible in hand. But because he's coming back, his return is imminent. We preach the word. And because there's going to be a kingdom rule, by his appearing and his kingdom, his kingship, his authority, his rule, his reign, because of all of that, we preach the word. What what a serious tone Paul takes on here. You know, the gentle remembrance of Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice from chapter uh, 1 is gone. The, it, it replaces, you know, Paul's wonderful metaphors of the soldier on duty, the athletes competing, the hardworking farmers in chapter 2. All that's brushed aside now. And it's as though Paul is taking a solemn oath. He's adjuring Timothy. He's calling on him before a heavenly court. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus by invoking God as a witness. He's also appealing to him as a judge. If Paul goes to that length to call on God as a witness, invoking the judgment and the reign of Christ, he's telling Timothy and us that nothing could be more important. Nothing could be more central to our ministry as shepherds, as elders, as overseers, we're going to give an account because of the presence of Jesus, but also because God has done something in the Scriptures. You know, in, uh, you look back through what has led up to this moment, Uh, In chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 3, Paul has talked about in the last days they're going to come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. And there he has a section about the they. And then beginning in verse 10 of chapter 3, he turns his attention to Timothy. Then there's the section about the you. You, however... You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Indeed, he says, all that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. But as for you, continue what you have learned, knowing from whom you've learned them. And And he says the reason you could do this is because of the Word of God. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here he gives us this bedrock statement about the Word that we preach. That all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We preach the word not only because 
of the presence of Christ, but because of what God has done in the scriptures themselves. You know, we, we have a word that God has breathed into. Just as surely as he breathed into Adam the breath of life and man became a living soul. So he breathed out the word of God and this word lives forever. Heaven and earth may pass away. My word will not pass away. We preach a word that is settled forever in the heavens. And he says it's, it's not merely inspired as though it's some, something that we put in a museum and say, wow, look at that. That's what God gave. No, we, we read it, we study it, we live it. He says we, we preach it because it is useful. It's profitable. Now, this is one of those doctrines, I think, that most people pay lip service to. Conservatives say, oh, we believe all the Scripture is profitable. But I think our preaching often says something else. We, we skip over hard parts. We, we, you know, preach through Genesis, and you get to chapter 36, and you just conveniently jump over to the Joseph narrative, and we're not going to preach the descendants of Esau. Well, the Holy Spirit put that there for a reason. And I'll just say that when you skip over the hard parts, you're tacitly implying to people that there's nothing there for you. I want to challenge you. It's your job to discover the profitability of all Scripture and to show your people how to see that. The Holy Spirit put that there. It's useful for doctrine, correction. Uh, It's profitable in all these ways. Now, most of us are conservative. We say we believe the Bible. You know, I, during COVID, I don't know about you, but it gave me opportunity to listen to a lot more preachers than I normally listen to, you know, and everybody was on Facebook during the lockdown and, and, uh, whether it was someone going into a studio, you know, at Buck Run, we'd built this new building and suddenly the lockdown occurred. I said, we've got a $12 million Facebook studio. That's what we've got. And, and, it, and that's what it was. We, you know, you're just making Facebook videos, but I watched, I, I, and I, I turned inevitably to some liberal preachers. I wanted to see what they're saying. There was one particular preacher I remember turning to on the day that he preached the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And he read that text, and here's the way he began his sermon. I really don't like this passage. The only reason I'm preaching this is because it's the lectionary reading for today. This is bad theology. And he proceeded to just completely deconstruct it. The only thing redeemable, shall I use the word, that he got out of the passage was a care for the poor. But he rejected hell. He rejected the sufficiency of scriptures uh, that uh, Moses and the prophets bore witness of this he, he he totally deconstructed it here's the funny part at the end they actually had the piano and the organ play i surrender all <laughs> i remember thinking what are you asking people to surrender to what are you asking them to believe you've just totally destroyed the word of god you know the only thing worse then to not believe the scriptures is to believe it, but not preach it. 
And we can fill our preaching up with a lot of good things that are not the Word of God. Preach the Word. Paul told the Ephesian elders, he said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There are a lot of preachers who consider themselves thinking men, but they are really just shrinking men. They've pulled back from preaching the whole counsel of God. Oh, there was a time they were on the cusp of obedience, the edge of exposition, the fringe of faithfulness, but they shrunk back in fear that it might offend or in laziness that it was simply too hard. See, this book is not useful for self-advancement or popularity or appealing cool. One of the worst things you can ever do is want to seem cool and likable. That's death to preaching. Settle it right now. You're not going to be cool preaching the Word of God. You're going to be so far outside the thinking of your culture that you will not fit in. And if you try, you will sacrifice preaching the whole counsel of God. You're not cool. You're weird. Uh, But you have a word to preach. It is useful for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for teaching doctrine. All of this is applicational. Now, last night we talked about being a shepherd. You know, the shepherd's staff is not merely a straight stick. It has a crook on it. And what's the crook for? It's for pulling wayward sheep back in. It's for correcting their wayward path and bringing them back to the fold. All that Paul says here is that the word is applicational. You aren't merely a teacher. You're a shepherd teacher, a pastor teacher. Those scriptures aren't merely informational. They're transformational. And when you preach the word of God, it's not to be some dry, dusty commentary. If preaching were merely commentary, buy everybody in your church a set of Matthew Henry's and be done with it. There's always someone who's a better exegete than you. But God made you a shepherd. The, The job of the pastor is to take the word and to walk through life with your people and show them how this applies in life and how it corrects their behavior. And this is the task of the preacher. It's useful for calling out, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? Because God does something with the word in the servant. Paul says, you preach the word because you're you're given this word, and this word is profitable, that the man of God might be well-fitted, he might be complete, capable, proficient, totally equipped and furnished for everything he needs. Isn't isn't it good to know that God has given you everything you need for your ministry in his word? Now, there's often a time where we, we have to study it. We have to dig into it. We don't know how to apply it. Man, COVID was a game changer, wasn't it? We weren't prepared for that. I'd never thought, what are we going to do when we're told we can't gather? How are we going to 
handle this kind of a challenge. But you know what I discovered? That the word of God was sufficient for me to lead my church through all of that pandemic. In fact, there's not any situation that will happen that the word of God will prove insufficient to deal with. I'm to be so saturated with the word, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. Because when I do that, I'm building really a, 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 a storehouse from which I can draw then from, from that storehouse of study, of walking through the word, and I can bring out treasures new and old in order to deal with whatever comes into my path. God did something in his word that he might do something to his man and through his people. And when we open the word of God, man, God does something so significant in lives and you begin to see people change. This is why Paul said to the Ephesian elders there in Acts 20, verse 28, you pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, being furnished to preach is not the same thing as preaching. You have what you need in the word of God. The question is, are you preaching it? You know, expository preaching is not for lazy men. Uh, It's going to require study. It's going to require studying the word of God, studying your people to see what they need. You know, to preach expository sermons through the Bible. It's the task of a lifetime. One of my associate pastors uh, just recently went back through all my preaching at Buck Run in the 20 years I've been there and calculated that I have preached 55% of the Bible, which tells me I need, a, I need another lifetime. But man, what a task, what a joy. And he says, I have preached from, in one way or another, about 80% of the Bible in those 20 years. Man, what a delight to see God take that and to use that. I was in Korea, uh, South Korea a few years ago, and uh, a book, my book on preaching, and when they translated it into Korean, actually became the number one best-selling Christian book in South Korea. I always wanted a number one bestseller, and I had it in South Korea. <laughs> and uh, so they, they, they invited me to come to South Korea, and one day they had uh, a bunch of interviews lined up for me with different Christian magazines and publications. And uh, an editor and his translator were there with one of my former students who was professor at Chongshin Seminary. And they were asking me questions and they asked me, well, what, are you, what do you think are some of the dangers that pastors face? And I talked about the usual stuff. I talked about uh, the lust of the flesh. I talked about greed. I t- talked about taking your eyes off Christ. And I, and I said laziness. And when I said that, I noticed them looking at each other very strangely. And I did not know what cultural... Uh, puddle I'd stepped in, but I realized some, something was going on, and they they just looked terribly uncomfortable with my answer, and so I I tried to explain it further, and they looked more and more uncomfortable. <laughs> and when the editor and his translator left, I asked my my student, I said, "Can you just explain to me what happened there?" He said, "Oh, Doctor York," he said, "There are no lazy preachers in Korea." I said, "What?" 
He said, well, here, you know, every, every church has prayer meeting at five o'clock in the morning. And there's usually some kind of a, a sermon preached every day. On the weekends, we go to the prayer mountains and have 24-hour prayer and preaching. On Sunday, five services back to back. He said, there are no lazy preachers in Korea. I said, well, send them to the United States. You know, if you're going to be a faithful preacher of the Word of God, there's no room for laziness. It's going to consume you. It's going to take your time. You're going to have to immerse yourself in the Word of God. It it takes time. It's humiliating. Because every time I study a passage, I am overcome with the need for my own repentance and my own correction and instruction in righteousness. It's going to take a willingness to suffer. Spurgeon said, my learned doctor, we do not want your new gospel. We want the old word of God. My friend of the fine poetical speech, you of the grand rhetoric, you of the golden mouth, we want neither you nor your mouth. Unless you give us the word of God, just what is revealed in scripture. Preach the word. And Paul says, preach it Did you notice he says, it's translated in season and out of season? In the Greek, those are, that's just two different words. They're very closely related. Okairos, in good time, and akairos, in no time. Whether it's a good season or simply no time at all, you preach the word. Sometimes it's time to sow. Sometimes it's time to water, to weed, to prune. Sometimes it's time to harvest. Are you in a building program? It's time to preach the word. Are you in a dry season? And it seems like nothing's happening in your church. Well, it's time to preach the word. Are you in a time of harvest and people are getting saved and you're baptizing every week? It's time to preach the word. Are your people divided over vaccines and politics? Preach the word. Don't descend into the methods of the world. Do what God has called you to do and trust that his word is sufficient. Preach the word. You preach it with a total disregard for the season, but never a disregard for the saints. Notice these three verbs, reprove, rebuke, exhort. I know some preachers who absolutely love the work of reproving and rebuking. They're a little less good at exhorting. But God's called us to do all of these things. But notice that it comes with qualifiers. Did you notice that? With complete patience. Now, there's only one way you get patience, and that's to have it tried. And people are going to try your patience. And going through dry seasons will try your patience. But Paul says you just preach the word with complete patience. This is pretty much what we saw Peter said last night. At the end, you know, I I preached through verses 1 through 4 in 1 Peter 5 last night, but did you... At the, at the end of that, verse 5, P- 
Peter addresses all of the saints and he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. But then listen to this, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need to preach even when we reprove, even when we rebuke, we do it with great humility with grace humility is not you know thinking lowly of yourself you know I, there are people you compliment them and they're like you know you say oh man you play the piano so beautifully oh i can't play the piano you know what they're really doing like go on go on tell me more <laughs> humility is not thinking lowly of yourself it's not thinking of yourself and when you preach the word, it's not about how they react to you, nor whether they think you eloquent or not. It's about the word of God. And he says, you preach the word with all humility and teaching. Now that seems redundant. He said, preach the word, but now he says with humility and teaching. He speaks of both the manner of the preaching, humility, but then the methodology of the preacher is to be teaching. It's, it's not enough to be earnest or kind or loving or eloquent. Your kindness and sincerity is not enough. You must never forget that you are to exhort with sound doctrine, with solid teaching. It amazes me that I hear churches brag on the fact we don't get into doctrine. Well, what do you get into? Because everything in this book is inherently doctrinal. And we do it with an expectation of a challenge because Paul, uh, Paul says here, well, notice there's a little wordplay going on. Remember our words, okairos, akairos, in good times or no times. Now he uses the root word of that, there is a kairos coming. There is a time coming when they won't want to listen to what you're saying. You don't change methodologies. You don't change strategies based on whether or not they're listening. The, the kairos that's coming is when people won't put up with sound doctrine. They won't endure sound doctrine. Now, you know, usually Paul uses that word as an encouragement to us. Uh, we're this word put up with, he uses it elsewhere in Ephesians 4, 2. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, putting up with one another in love. In Colossians three thirteen, he he says we're to be bearing with one another, that is putting up with one another. I believe that one of the great marks of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you have a great put uppance. Uh, you, you can put up with people when they are irritating or they're wayward and, and they're challenging. That's a mark of your love for them. But here he's using this word in a negative way. There's going to come a time when people aren't going to be able to put up with the very doctrine you preach. They're going to, in fact, heap up. What a word. Heap up teachers. 
What a mental picture. Oh, they're, they've got these itching ears that they need to be tickled and scratched. And they're, they're accumulating teachers who will teach what they want to hear. And we're seeing this happen all around us. We are going to be unpopular in a world that wants us to adjust our message to the impetus of the moment, to the moral quagmire that we're in. Preachers who are not preaching the word are the ones who the world is accumulating in accordance with their own passions. You know, right now, there's an eighth grader in your church feeling isolated because her friends have told her that they're gay or bi-curious and she is ridiculed simply because she goes to the church where you preach the word of God. Or there's an older couple in your church, both of them widowed, and they have found some affection for one another. But if they get married, they'll lose Social Security benefits. So they're wanting to just move in together, and they're wondering if you will bless their union so they can have God's favor apart from any legal entity so they don't lose Social Security. Or... There are couples in your church deciding whether or not they'll lose their friends because they won't go to their gay son's wedding. There are so many issues that we are facing today that were unthinkable in our parents' generation. But do you know how we confront those issues? We preach the Word. The Word does not change. But as for you, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word it's going to cost you you're going to suffer this is why so much of second Timothy is, is about suffering you're to endure hardness as a soldier it is given to you not only to believe but also to suffer for his sake suffering and glory are inextricably connected this is the message of the new testament and yet we want to preach a gospel that costs nothing amy carmichael was a missionary who served in india in the 19th century she wrote a poem. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar? On foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die, and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? 
Yet, as the master must the servant be. Pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has nor wound nor scar? It's going to cost you to preach the gospel. But it's going to shape you to be like your Savior. Paul tells Timothy, As for you, you always be sober-minded. You endure suffering. You do the work of an evangelist. You be a gospeler. You preach the gospel. You call on people to repent. You point them to their only hope in Jesus Christ. You fulfill your ministry. You do the one thing that God has commissioned you to do in season, out of season, in no time, good time, bad time, when the times come that no one wants to listen to your message, you preach the word, yet shall they know there has been a prophet among them because of the message you preach. You preach. Make sure that your character fits your calling, that your personal and your pastoral life is consistent with your preaching life. When the days are long, Your work goes unappreciated. And when you're called on to do things beyond your comfort zone or even your will, you wrap yourselves in the heavier clothing of your calling and you be the vicar of large things in a small parish. Don't ever sacrifice the mundane and the necessary for the spectacular but the non-essential. You do the hard work of study of filling up your own heart and your life with the Word of God, and then you preach from the overflow of what God has done in you. One Sunday night, not too long ago, it had been a long day. I had preached twice that morning. I had, uh, Tony and I had gone out to eat with some people uh, that uh, needed to spend some time with us. We had gone to someone's uh, graduation event that afternoon, and uh, and then, you know, when the evening came, it was like, finally, time to relax and get to be together, just the two of us. I, I cherished that time, but the phone rang. And it was uh, a single mom in our church. And she said, Pastor, uh, my, my mother is in the hospital, and they tell me that she's brain dead. And we're going to take her off life support. And I cannot bear to be in the room with her. But would you come to the hospital? Would you be in the room with her and just pray over her? She's a believer. But I'd just like someone to be in there with her. And I I just can't do it. And Tanya heard the conversation. And she was already getting on her clothes to go with me. We went to the hospital. I'll never forget little nurse that was there she was a traveling nurse filling in at our local hospital when the time came I went in with her she was so tender the way she she spoke to this grandmother and mother who was completely of course uh, non-responsive and as I 
prayed, asking the Lord just to give comfort to the daughter, to escort this precious woman into the presence of her Savior. That nurse began to recite the 23rd Psalm, just the two of us in that room, while Tanya and uh, the daughter stood out in the hallway crying, holding each other and praying. And uh, that nurse so tenderly, so gently removed the intubation. And I watched as the monitor completely stopped, flatlined. There was no crash cart called. There was no movement to do anything. There was only the simple feeling of release. When I went back out, I joined the daughter and Tanya, and we began to pray, and we felt a, while I was praying, I felt a fourth person come up and join our little circle, and it was that nurse. And we just had a little time of praise there in the hallway. You know, I'd never been in that young lady's home. She'd never been in mine been a member of our church for a few years. I I know her, but I don't know her well. Why did she want me there? It was nothing to do with my personality. It wasn't some innate ability I possess. It was that there is nothing more powerful nor more intimate than hearing the man of God open the word of God and preach And she wanted the one who preached to her the word to be with with her, say goodbye to her mother. Listen, God uses your public ministry to do intimate and personal things in the lives of your people. And sometimes it seems like nobody's listening. And sometimes it's hard But God is using his word. You preach it. Trust in its power. In the presence of the Lord Jesus and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Father, May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Truth For Life. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Truth For Life. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Truth For Life. For additional information about how you can support Truth For Life, please visit us online at truthforlife.org. There you'll find free message downloads from Alistair Begg, as well as links to our podcast, mobile apps, and other resources to help you grow in your Christian faith. 
Again, the website is truthforlife.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay in touch with Truth For Life and Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, where the learning is for living.